Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Mito Action's podcast, Energy in Action. I'm Kyra Mann, CEO of Mito Action, and I'm your host. Here on Energy in Action, we talk all things Mito, and I'm glad you're here to learn and be part of our community. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Energy in Action. My name is Kyra Mann, CEO of Mito Action, and I will be your host for this episode. Joining me today, we are excited to have with us members of the Akron Children's Hospital Mitochondrial Care Center. Joining us today, we have Kim Yeager, who is nurse coordinator for the clinic, Dr. Steven Steiner, Dr. Ian Rossman, and Dr. Abdu Alali. So if we could just go around and take one second, I would love to have each of you just introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your role at the clinic. So let's, Kim, if we can start with you. Sure. Yeah. I am the nurse coordinator for our clinic here, and I've been in this role for just over a year. Um, so I'm usually the initial phone call when the patients call in, get their information, their clinical background, um, and then help coordinate everything from there with their visits and follow up Wonderful. Thank you. So you're the, you're the first point of contact for someone when they reach out to the clinic. Wonderful. Well, thank you for being here with us, Kim. We appreciate it. Dr. Steiner, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, my name's uh, Steve Steiner. I'm one of the uh, pediatric neurologists. Dr. Rossman, do you want to tell us a little bit about your role at the Mito Clinic? Sure. Um, I'm Ian Rossman. I'm one of the pediatric neurologists. And so I see uh, patients, new patients, follow-ups, and I'm also involved in some of the uh, research protocols. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And Dr. Alali? Um, I'm, I'm Abdul Razak Alali. Uh, I'm the biochemical uh, medical geneticist here. So we see many patients with the team uh, that are involved with uh, in patient's care sometimes, depends on cases. Wonderful. Well, thank you all so much for being here with us today. And we want it, we want to give the community an inside look at the Akron Children's Mitochondrial Center and help them better understand all the great things and the great work that you're doing at the center. And then if someone's interested in making an appointment, what does that process look like? Um, so maybe Kim, could we start off and you tell us a little bit about, you know, the booking process. If a patient is interested in scheduling an appointment at the Akron Children's Center, what is the process they need to go through? To schedule an sure. So we accept self-referrals and physician referrals, and we see patients locally and regionally. Once they are accepted into our program, we have an authorization specialist on our team that will run benefits and make sure everything's covered before they come. We have an internal discussion before the appointment for the plan for the patient, and then once we are ready to schedule. We do have a pretty quick scheduling time frame where we can get patients in when, within as early as a month to two months. Can you tell us a little bit about any like pre-qualifications that are required? So like, for example, would a patient need to have a genetically confirmed diagnosis in order to be seen at your clinic? Or can they get go through the diagnostic process with your team? Yeah, so we, we don't require confirmed diagnosis by molecular way. Patients who are uh, diagnosed with other ways, like studies on skin fibroblasts or muscle biopsies, also we uh, accept patients who are highly suspected to have mitochondrial disorder based on clinical history, laboratory finding, and family history. That's so, I, I cannot tell you how exciting that is to hear because so many of our care centers 
require genetic confirmation. And we have so many patients that are struggling to get that diagnosis. So to know that there's a place that they can go where they don't have answers that will help them get those answers is, is really, really um, good to hear. Do you only take pediatric patients or do you also see adults? We see all ages. We don't have restriction based on age. Although we are uh, pediatric hospitals, a neurology team and on my side also, we don't have restriction on age. We see all ages. So we see, yes, we see pediatric patients and adult patients. Wonderful. Can you talk about the different disciplines that are part of your clinic? I know we've got pediatric neurologists, we've got medical geneticists on on this call. What are the other specialties that are part of that coordinated care environment that a, that a patient can expect at your clinic? So of the specialists that you see in the mitochondrial disease clinic specifically, it's just the neurology component and the metabolism component. We have subspecialists within the hospital with if a patient needs to get hooked up with one of those specialists as part of their evaluation, we can help facilitate that. But as far as just the mitoclinic, it's really neurology and metabolism. Okay, great. That's but but you have access to those other specialties should a patient require additional care, which is which is good to know. That's correct. We try to ahead of time plan out so we can take the customized approach to what specialties they might need while they're here for a visit. Wonderful. That's great. Anyone else have anything to add to that? Uh, so we don't have some adult specialties here. So sometimes we cooperate and collaborate and help patients seeing other specialties in the regions if not locally, that's for adult patients. And I was going to say with some patients who come in for a visit, we can help facilitate with consult referrals for specialists where they live if they're coming in from out of state. Right. That And that was going to be part of my next question is that I would imagine that you guys, you do see a lot of patients that are out of state and then you will coordinate them with their local care team in their in their local community, as you just said. What about, do you, do you see patients that come in from out of the country? We get lots of requests from patients that are in countries that don't have mitochondrial care and they're looking to come to the United States to try to get in and see a doctor. Is that an option at your clinic? We did not see uh, international patients yet, but I, I, I know we discussed it at some point in the past. Okay, great. Well, we'll keep having that conversation with you as we get more and more requests in. Do you offer telehealth at Akron Children's? Is that an option? Yes, but that's, you know, we have some restriction because of insurance coverage. So uh, if they are within the state, that's easy. If they are in other states where some of our team has license in that state, I, I, I believe uh, IAN has license, maybe Dr. Ko in other states. So we also discussed that if we want to have licenses in other states that we see many patients coming from. But uh, locally, yes, we do telehealth visits. Dr. Rossman, did you have something to add about the telehealth program? Yeah, I was just going to piggyback on what uh, my colleagues were saying, that you have to have a license in the state where the patient is physically. So hopefully over the next few years, there'll be a consortium of states where that'll be easier to to get a license to do that, but for right now we're limited. But I do want to say that I think one of the things that uh, I really appreciate the hard work that Kim does and our patient liaisons do before we even see the patient, collating the information, finding out what services are going to be needed. There's a lot of communication that happens 
even before we get in a room with our patients. And I think that that's been such a successful part of this endeavor. Yeah, that's wonderful. So you're way ahead of them and you have more efficient appointments, which is really great. In order for a patient to be seen via telehealth, is there a requirement that they've been seen in person at the clinic first, or is that not necessary? I would say most of our new patients, our initial visit, we do prefer to be in person just so we get that thorough examination to start with, and then we kind of can determine telehealth from there. But I would say it's probably not totally out of the question or option. Okay, great. So let's talk a little bit about some of the work that you guys are doing at the clinic. Akron is an enrolling site for the North American Mitochondrial Disease Consortium Biobank. Can you tell us a little more about this initiative and what this means for patients and how patients can participate and become involved? Sure. So this is a consortium that's been around for well over a decade. There's about 20 centers that are referring. And I guess the overarching goal is that we are trying to find out more about our patients in order to help them and future patients. And one of the ways that we're doing that is uh, obtaining samples, you know, blood, DNA, and uh, banking it in this repository so that researchers have access to do high quality uh, research. When patients have, this is something that for which a patient must have an established uh, genetic uh, diagnosis, and then they can get enrolled uh, once they've been seen. And of course, once they agree. Okay. We've enrolled, I think at this point, over 80 samples um, to the repository. And so, it's, um, you know, we're one of the, the highest uh, providers of samples to this repository. You know, so this is uh, a benefit of being involved in a collaborative uh, environment, trying to provide not only direct patient care, but working with other centers to enhance our understanding of mitochondrial disease. Because even when there are shared symptoms and shared mitochondrial diagnoses, genetic diagnoses, you know, for that family, it feels very individual. Right. Or the multiple members of the family. But knowing that they're also part of a bigger network, you know, it's a rare disease that's individual to them. I think it's nice to in this collaborative Yeah, that that collaboration, like you said, is key in everything that we do in this community because we, you know, collectively we can learn a lot more than we can as individuals, individual organizations. Most patients don't understand the concept of a biobank, right? You go to the doctor, you get your blood taken, and you store that. And so when you when you talk about sharing samples and things like that, just like kind of in, in very simple layman terms, can you can you help us understand what that means for research and how are these samples shared and why is it important for patients to participate in a biobank or an initiative like this? So being involved in a biobank is in, entirely up to the patient and their, their caretakers. So this is a conversation that we'll have. And if the family is interested we make sure that they know every aspect of, of from the collection to what we do with the samples. Typically, when a patient gets um, blood or urine checked, they're going to the lab because we're asking a question that's specifically based on what their symptoms are or a concern we have, and potentially an answer to that question will help us care for the patient. In the case of a biobank, we're collecting typically blood in other uh, biobanks, there may be other uh, tissues sampled. 
And the goal is not to necessarily answer a specific question for that person, but to have available information, both clinically, right? What is this person? Um, what are their symptoms? What do they look like? When were they diagnosed? And be able to tie that to um, DNA that we can then do further research and look in a bigger group of patients whether or not changes in that DNA or changes in whatever that sample is correlates or groups with certain symptoms or certain disease types. These um, samples, while we have a lot of information about the patient, and obviously the DNA is their individual DNA, they're not tied to a person's name. They're what we call de-identified. Mm -hmm. And this is a way in which a patient can remain anonymous contribute to our global understanding of a disorder. So in the collection, it may feel like or look like a regular blood test that you would have to answer a clinical question that your doctor has. But this is contributing to the bigger picture question of what's going on in our case, mitochondrial disease. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the clinical trials that are currently going on at Akron that are related to mitochondrial disease that some of our patients could be interested in? I'm excited to be uh, part of the, the Lee syndrome, the natural history study uh, that we're going to be starting to enroll very soon. This is not an intervention trial. This is, again, a learning about um, the disease state by getting information about individual patients and looking at how they do over time. And it's going to be a combination of exams and how they're doing physically based on what the, the doctors think, but also, and importantly, what the patients and their families report. Right. So the goal is that over time, multiple centers will enroll multiple patients, and we can see the breadth and depth of changes in something as complex and varied as Lee syndrome. Yeah, and I think you made a very important point, is that for patients that are interested in getting involved, right, this is a non-invasive right? No treatment involved, but just by sharing their day-to-day journeys with what's going on with their Lay syndrome, it's a great way for them to take an active role in helping to advance research without, you know, being involved in any kind of treatment. And on the clinicaltrial.gov website, when you search for Akron Children's, there is a list of all of our active and enrolling trials. That's great. Thanks for that, Kim. So clinicaltrials.gov. So not only can you search by disease state or diagnosis, you can also search by facility. So you can search Akron Children's and and get a full list of everything that's going on um, at the clinic. So that's great. I appreciate that. If I'm a patient, I'm a new patient at at your center, what can I expect for a first visit appointment? And what are your recommendations for how to best prepare as a patient coming in for a first visit? with a mito specialist. I can take this. Great. Thanks, Dr. Steiner. You know, as a new patient in the clinic, you know, you can expect almost what you'd expect, what might be expected from any other type of new patient evaluation, obviously with a special set of circumstances. From the patient's perspective, it's always helpful, I think, for them to bring data such as any imaging they've had on discs. You know, usually a lot of the 
previous medical analysis will have been transferred to us. Kim and the team are very good about hunting down records and getting records transferred to us and scanning the charts so we all preview these records before seeing the patient. But um, anything that needs visualization, like I said, imaging is really helpful so we can at least have it scanned into our system in case we need to recommend new imaging and compare, you know, old with new. And I think one of the benefits that the patients can expect too is we have pretty long visits for these initial patients. And so we really try to block out a chunk of time so we can take our time with these discussions, really get to know the patient, get to know the history. And I'd like to think that it doesn't feel rushed for anybody. And then once the visit is done with one person, you know, sometimes I'll be seeing two of us like myself and Dr. Lolly, or if another visit has been scheduled, you know, you know, we'll try to help coordinate that. But at the end of the clinic day, we all sort of think and discuss about patient scenarios as a team. So it's you're getting multiple opinions from one visit to help decide what the next steps are, if there are any. Something I think patients would truly appreciate is having those different perspectives. In addition to having all of your medical records, like what are the most important things that the family can bring to you to help you best understand their situation and, and make decisions? You know, one thing I would try to say to families, and I think I've encountered some situations where it's almost heading in that direction. It's just, it's all a conversation. And like any conversation you have with someone, if you forget something now, no big deal. We have my chart, you know, ways to communicate with doctors or calling in the clinic after the visit. If they find something or remember something, they can pass it along to us. So it's not integral to have every detail on hand to necessarily make decision or steps in the, in the in the future about what to do. So I really, you know, as best way to say is like just bring bring an attitude that's ready just to discuss what's going on. It's want try to make it as easy and as stress free a discussion as possible. You know, no expectations and everything just sort of tends to fall into place. Yeah, that's helpful because I I know these these appointments for our families can be incredibly stressful. So any kind of advice and guidance we can offer to help ease that tension and make for a... Can I add something here? Yes, absolutely. I would say also, you know, when you come to this long day visits, you might even forget the question that you wanted to ask. So I always encourage them to write the question down and set their goals and what they want to achieve from this visit, especially if the diagnosis is already confirmed and they saw other specialties. That's good advice. One of the big areas where we get a lot of questions from families is the transition from pediatric to adult care. Can you talk a little bit about what what that transition process is like, right? You're at a children's hospital. So what does that transition look like for a pediatric patient? And what does it look like for an adult patient coming in, being cared for in a children's hospital? So we typically do not transition our adult patients. Our neurologists and geneticists are trained in adults and pediatrics, and we can provide physician consultation with their other adult providers. For example, Dr. Cohen had a patient that needed cardiology and 
he was able to contact that cardiologist and who's not familiar with mitochondrial disease and consult them with what to look for and what sort of testing they would need. And that's something that's you know, not built to a patient. That's just a physician-to-physician consult. So we can care for adult patients for their specific, you know, disease or symptoms that we are specifically seeing them for. That's great. Dr. Rossman, did you have something else to add? I was mostly going to say exactly what Kim said. We're very supported by our hospital administration to be allowed to see our subspecialty patients, even through adulthood. And that has been a really positive experience so that people who have complex care don't suddenly feel, oh, I'm 21 and I'm after reinvent the wheel. Right. For patients who are our longstanding local patients, the hospital has been involved in an initiative for transition care because even though as the outpatient subspecialists, we can still see patients into adulthood. Logistically, children's hospitals cannot admit patients over age 26, and that's nationwide. Right. So locally, we're partnering with the local institution um, for that transition of care to make sure they're in with a medical home of primary care and adults of specialty of physicians who would know them should they get admitted right. you know, during an emergency. You know? And so I would encourage any patient who's in that transition age and doesn't live nearby to make sure that there's a, a local team who knows them and knows their has access to their records so that if they're 22 and suddenly have a severe event that winds them up in the hospital, there's a local team that's not just learning about them. Right, but right. from an outpatient standpoint, we're very well supported by the hospital. That's wonderful because that's not very common. And it's a huge stressor for our families when they have a child that's, you know, now suddenly 18 and they've got to find a new care team and they're starting over because stability is, you know, and consistency, as you all know so well, is really important to our families. And so when you have to think about upsetting and rocking the boat with a whole new team and starting over that it just can be overwhelming. So it's really encouraging to know that you, you are supporting our families from start to finish. And that, that is a really important piece for our families that will, will mean a lot as they're going through this process. So um, that, that's really, really wonderful that you, you have that. I'd love for each of you to share with me, what was your interest in getting involved in mitochondrial medicine and how, how did you end up serving this community? Dr. Alali, do you want to start us off? Yes. Of course, thank you. So I would say mitochondrial disorders were an essential part of my training in metabolic disorders. And also I had passion for understanding the biochemistry roots of disease to clinical presentation. And that's all found in mitochondrial disorders. Besides the huge needs and opportunity to know affected individuals and families closely and work with them like my own family. Finally, the increasing understanding of mitochondrial disorders and therapies seen on the horizons were also other reasons to attract me to take care of patients with mitochondrial disorders. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Kim, how about you? I have been here in our neurology department for almost eight years and had the occasional mitochondrial patient with um, my role, but I officially moved into this 
dedicated role in about the last year and really investing myself in learning as much as I can. And not about just the disease, but our patients and their families um, and the really close-knit community that seems to revolve around that. That's great. Thank you for that. Dr. Steiner, how about you? I started off uh, in research and toxicological research. Before I went into medicine, I um, earned a PhD in neurotoxicology where, at the University of Michigan, where we studied certain disorders caused by exposures to different type of toxicants. And we really got into the nitty gritty of how these uh, poisons affected cellular health. And the mitochondria were sort of the targets of these particular poisons. And we use this model as sort of like a, a model for how disease human disease can be affected on a cellular level. So, and so it became, I really became interested in the mechanism of how these disorders can work. And even though all of these disorders have different origins or etiologies, there are some common pathways that helped us learn about some of, about basically how mitochondria function. And that's why I just kind of gravitated towards that and kept with that interest throughout the years of training through medical school, residency, fellowship, and such. And I enjoy working with the kiddos and the families uh, and with various types of problems. But, you know, folks with mitochondrial disease tend to have multiple areas of concern. And, um, you know, and so it's, it's, you know, I feel like it's important to try to help address all these areas if, if possible. I think that's part of the issue, and, you know, intimidation with it. But, but that's why I like it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, intimidation, I think that's a that's a really important word in this space, because I think we, so many young doctors are just, you know, it's not the glamour of some of the bigger diseases, and, but the work that you guys do is so amazing, so incredible, and I hope you know how grateful this community is for you, focusing on these rare diseases and helping our, our patients and giving so selflessly of yourself, of your time and your commitment to think outside the box and to consider, you know, the impossible and how to help help these families get through and get better. So how about you, Dr. Rossman? After my pediatric neurology training, I did a neuroimmunology fellowship. And so neuroimmunology does overlap quite a bit with mitochondrial disease. Um, I think Dr. Cohen would say that all diseases eventually are a mitochondrial disorder. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a fair amount of overlap in some exciting research in how um, the mitochondria themselves are a part of the inflammatory response. And there is some you know, overlap in treatment. Um, so through my training, even before my neuroimmunology fellowship, I had a fair amount of exposure to mito patients. And so when um, I was hired by Dr. Cohen, he had talked to me early on about potentially becoming part of a clinic like this. And I was fortunate enough early in my career here to attend the UMBF meeting. And I was blown away by the basic science research. I felt like I was in grad school again. I learned yeah. so much. And being able to care for patients in a multidisciplinary clinic with a, a collaborative effort where you're not just alone seeing a patient, you're seeing a patient, you have the the resources to talk with colleagues and experts in the field and getting to meet and 
and interact with experts from other other institutions and from around the world. That's the exact kind of medicine that he's interested in, in practicing. So it's been a really positive um, experience. And, you know, we're all lifelong learners. Right. And you're learning something every day when you're working at Mido. It's, I think you have to be comfortable saying, I don't know yes. a lot. Yes. And, and so I think that that's something I'm comfortable saying quite a bit. And, um, and well, I love that my colleagues, you know, can be open, honest, and supportive. And, and we're able to put our heads together. There are no, there's no room for egos. Yeah. And so I think in the Mido world, you know, as Adam Steve kind of, kind of indicated, there's that, that real passion interest, both from the scientific side as well as the patient care side. So it's been a nice thing. Yeah, and I would take it a step further and say it's not just about being able to say, I don't know, but being able to say, I don't know, and I'm committed to finding the answer, which I think is just truly remarkable because I know that's that's how you all function in, in your clinic, So, which is, as I said, remarkable for our community. So tell me if there was one thing each of you wishes that the outside world knew about the mitochondrial care center at Akron Children's. What would it be that you would want the community to know? Dr. Alali, what would you say? I would say we are a team and a family at the same time. And we consider every individual patient our family. Well, Kim, how about you? I would say, going back on what Dr. Steiner had said, is that we really take a really collaborative team approach to each patient after their visit. Our entire team meets, discusses their visit and their care and what our plan is. So you have four neurologists and a geneticist all behind the scenes working for you. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Dr. Steiner, how about you? I think if there's one thing I'd like patients to know, you know, again, when we all put our heads together and try to figure out a plan moving forward, uh, one thing I've really appreciated about our team is that if it's not something that we can provide, we do a pretty darn good job of trying to find someone else or trying to find someplace where a patient can get their help if it's not through us. And in a rare disease, that's critical. That's really important. Dr. Rossman, how about you? I'd say we have availability. So if you're thinking about it, we should be able to get you in. That's good to know. Kim, can you share with us if a patient listening is interested in reaching out and um, getting more information about scheduling an appointment? Do you have a website or phone number? Yeah, so on our Akron Children's website, under mitochondrial disease, there is a contact to email. It's mito at akronchildrens.org. And then we have our clinic phone number which is 330-543-6486. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And then if anybody missed that, it'll be in the show notes. And it's also listed on the MitoAction website under the Find the Doc option. So one last question for each of you. Hope is on the horizon. That's been a phrase that MitoAction has adopted over the course of the last year that we often use to continue to encourage our patients and the progress that's being made in mitochondrial medicine. What would you say to the patients for whom we strive to continue to provide that sense of hope as they navigate their journey with mitochondrial disease? I think hope is a human value and asset, and we need hope in our daily life, regardless of any medical condition, since life is inherently 
is full of challenges, and those challenges are bridged by hope. In the field of mitochondrial, like many other conditions, the hope is there and continues to ascend above the horizon with our knowledge of the etiology, the natural history, the individualized management, and improving clinical trials outcome. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Lally. Dr. Rossman, how about you? I think that being part of a community uh, and the larger mitochondrial disorder family helps provide hope and inspiration mm-hmm. because you look at rare disease as an individual and can feel very alone, you know, but I think thanks to efforts like this, people realize they're not alone, families are not alone. And so I think it becomes easier to shoulder the burden of this big intimidating diagnosis of mitochondrial disease. And that helps not only with your innate individual spirit and, and hope, uh, but then you get to look around and see answers to questions you may not have even thought of. Right. And that there's information flowing both from patients and families to clinicians and researchers and back and forth. And you all of a sudden realize that there is a huge amount of effort on your behalf. And so it becomes a lot less lonely. And from a practical standpoint, the last 10 years has seen an explosion in tailored treatment for rare disease. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm very hopeful with the successes we're seeing in molecular medicine that this will be able to start making changes in the lives of some of our mitochondrial patients and families. Yes. And that's what, that's where my hope is. Definitely. That's wonderful. Thank you. Dr. Steiner, how about you? To piggyback off of what Dr. Rossman said, I would say that if you look at advancement on a day-to-day basis, it's very frustrating. It can be very frustrating for for everyone because advancement really occurs at a glacial pace, you know, but the advancement in this area doesn't come in days. It comes in, you know, weeks, months. And when you look at years at what's been, when you look at what's been accomplished over the past years, I mean, the advancements we have now at detection and identifying could only have been dreamed of, you know, 10, 20 years ago. I mean, and I think we've always had an opportunity. We've always been able to collect more information than we are able to understand it. And I think our understanding of this information about these disorders is getting better, you know, every year. And um, when you have teams like this, that understanding is much more efficient. And I think we're able to translate it to our patients more efficiently and hopefully provide the community with hope. Thank you for that. Kim, how about you? Do you think we all have to have hope? We are here. We want to support our patients and our families. We want to be on their team. And I think one thing that we've been are starting to do well is we're really trying to actively raise awareness to mitochondrial disease. I hope that we can continue making it a conversation and really get a larger community following to support our patients. I agree 100%. One of the things that I like to tell our patients is that 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, somewhere in the world, there's a light on in a lab where scientists and researchers and clinicians are studying mitochondrial disease. And even though the, as you said, Dr. Steiner, it feels like it's at a glacial pace, 
progress is being made. And we, we always try to remind our families of all the incredible work that's being done. And you all are a testament to that. And as I said before, I hope you know how much we truly appreciate your commitment to this community and really going above and beyond and making sure that our patients feel heard, they feel understood, and they know that they have a strong team behind them that is fighting for them. So we really appreciate all that you all are doing at Akron Children's um, Hospital and to care for our mitochondrial disease patients. So thank you all so much for being here with us. I look forward to continuing to have these conversations. And if there's anything that we can do at MitoAction to support your patients, please don't hesitate to let us know. And let's continue to work together to support our families. Thank, thank you all you. so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Energy in Action. Remember to give us a five-star rating on your listening app. This helps to boost us up the charts and makes it easier for others to find us. You can find all of the links and details that we share today in the show notes or at mitoaction.org. Have a great day, and we look forward to having you join us next time.